Welcome, my beloved royal court, to Fix Your Crown, the podcast where we sprinkle a little sass and a whole lot of wisdom to help you reign supreme in life, work, and love. Are you ready for it? Royals, hello, hello. Welcome back to Fix Your Crown. I am your host, King Habby, the voice of reason you didn't ask for but probably need. Oh, I am so excited to be back for a brand new episode. Let's start by checking in with the king. I am feeling good. The sun is back to shining on the coast. I have had a fantastic week and I had a great weekend with the perfect balance of socializing and recovering. I feel like my feral state is well behind me. So royals, because I am a fair and democratic leader to this kingdom, I take your suggestions, your wants and needs seriously. A number of you slid in my DMs and said, hey, if your favorite part of the Potty is the segment answering listening questions. Can we get an episode of deep dives into listener dilemmas? Ask and you shall receive, baby. I aim to please. So, if I give you my two cents, would you hold it in your hand? Would you put it in your pocket? Because as you might have guessed, today we will do a deep dive into your dilemmas and I'm going to get all up your business and get the royal court up to speed with your shenanigans. All right. Cozy up, girlies. This is about to be one big slumber party. Get your wines ready, get your drinks ready, get your gossip ears on, and let's dive into the Royal Mailbox. Our first dilemma. Every time my boyfriend and I fight, it gets bad. We start name-calling each other, slamming doors, and almost breaking up. We love each other very much, but we don't know how to disagree, and it makes me feel unloved. How to have healthy fights. Dump him. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I promise I'm joking. Do not dump him. Okay, let's get the obvious out of the way. Y'all love each other. Um, Disagreements and fights are bound to happen in every relationship. That's normal. Now, what's not normal is to get into fights that leave you feeling unloved, like you said, right? Fighting in relationships really should be about trying to find a middle ground, try and find a a resolution, but it shouldn't be about name calling, slamming doors. That's just an unhealthy way of handling conflict at the end of the day. And it's an unhealthy way of handling conflict regardless of who you're fighting with but particularly if it's your partner because I mean it's partner right like it's in the name you guys are in a partnership essentially this is a team it needs to be you and him right it's you and him versus the problem and definitely not you versus him which I think is the mistake that a lot of couples do when they have a disagreement or they fight it becomes a me versus you and the focus is on trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong who won and who lost and if this is your approach trust me you both lost because even if you declare one of you the winner then what happens the other person is probably upset hurt feeling invalidated and so what now right? Fighting as a couple should be about evaluating what the problem is together and then figuring out what the solution is together. And I know it's easier said than done. And for starters, a lot of people lead with their egos when they get into disagreements with anyone really, but particularly with their, with their partners, when the focus should be on leading with love. Because at the end of the day, this is someone that you love. At the other side of this fight, this is still someone you love. And so you shouldn't be saying anything that 
one, you would regret, or two, that you'd have to take back, right? When you're fighting with someone, you should try and definitely not name calling for sure uh you should not be saying anything that they told you in confidence and use it against them in a moment of weakness um and you shouldn't be making making them feel emotionally or physically unsafe right and so if you think about leading with love, you will figure out that all of the above, the name calling and using things against them and uh, resorting to being mean or making them feel unsafe, all of that is quite frankly the opposite of love, really, if you think about it. And the thing that I would like you to remember is that when you're having a fight or when you're disagreeing with someone, you it's still communication. At the end of the day, it's just a different type of communication. And because it's communication, the focus should be on effective communication. And effective communi communication is not trying to one-up one another. Um, it's not hitting where it hurts just to like get a win. It's working together into being clear, into making your um, point across in a way that is still respectful it's listening as well it's making sure that you're getting the other the other side of of the argument as well and it's really about finding common ground at the end of the day so how do we do that right how do we get to that point well if you've been anywhere in the internet I mean in the last maybe like three five years I'd say um, you must have heard about love languages right? It's, it was everywhere. And there's a book by the same name, Love Languages. If you haven't read it and you're curious, feel free to go and pick it up. It's a good read. But it's the idea that everyone has a preferred way of expressing and receiving love. And it falls into five categories, uh, the love languages. It's like gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, and quality time, I think. But did you know that there are also fight languages? And there's been a lot of focus in making sure that we're making our love language known to our partners and making sure that we speak in the same language. But I don't see a lot of focus into fight languages because in the same way that there is a natural way that we show and receive love, there is a natural way that we tend to fight. And there's, I think there's four fight languages from memory. And one of them is what we should all strive for. It's the mediator. It's the person that tries to mediate the solution and find a, an outcome, basically. But three of them that I want to focus on today are quite unhealthy to different degrees, right? The first one is escalation. The second one is withdrawal. And the third one is invalidation. Escalation is exactly what you described earlier. It's raising your voice, name calling, aggression, escalating the situation further. Withdrawal is when someone has the tendency to run away or refuse to engage to avoid having to sit through the uncomfortableness of conflict resolution process and the last one is the invalidation language which is basically the worst of them all because it's gaslighting essentially it's the process of invalidating another person's point of view altogether make them feel like they're crazy like what they're feeling or thinking is not real etc etc none of these bring about good communication because healthy communication means that you don't point fingers you don't escalate um, you don't shy away from conversation 
and you definitely don't invalid invalidate someone. And both parties have to practice practice active listening to try and solve the problem together. Now, the first step for you in particular would be to try and figure out where you fall into this. If I was to draw any conclusions just from the information that you've provided me, honestly, it sounds that you both escalate, right? And I'm guilty of that. I used to do that. So I can sympathize and I understand, but you just have to work with your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, what I would recommend to both of you is to one, disengage fully, like just time out 15 minutes at least to sit alone as far away from one another to think so that you can regulate your own emotions before you come to the table and have a conversation um, think about what you think the problem even is think about what you want what is your desired outcome out of this conflict what what do you really want to get to What's the, in a perfect world, in a perfect outcome, what would that look like for you? And try and think objectively about what a middle ground would look like and try and lead with compassion and try and think where do you think the other person is coming from? What do you think would be ideal for them? And then when you have regulated your own feelings and you're not feeling like you're going to burst and you're still angry, etc., then come back to the table, come back together, sit down and figure it out and talk it through and find common, common ground. Focus on the common ground. I used to, to escalate a lot. Um, and I used to date someone who would withdraw when we had any fights. And our strategy was... Once we figured out that this is who we are and this is what our languages look like, our strategy became um, to openly communicate before we take time out. So I will say something along the lines of, I need time to cool off and then I'll be ready to talk. When I'm ready to talk, I'll come and find you. I love you. This is fine. We'll figure it out. This is just to reassure the other person that, you know, at the end of the day, this is just a disagreement. Like, unless you're literally about to break up, everything hopefully is can be resolved and then from his side he will have to say something along the lines um, I'll be ready to talk when you're ready I love you this is fine we'll figure it out and so my responsibility in that partnership was to go and make sure that I got a hold of my feelings and I had time to sit down with them and regulate and then I had the responsibility to reach out to make sure that I go to him when I'm ready to have that conversation. His responsibility was to give me time to sit with those feelings and not really like go into my space during that time and also be ready to engage in the conversation. And so it's a give and take, right? And the more you do it, the more evidence you gather that it works and the easier it becomes. And then it just becomes your default. It's not something that you're going to have to actively work on forever because as with everything, the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. All right. Good luck to y'all. Be good to each other. Um, know that this is the kind of thing that you either resolve or it gets you to a place of no return. So handle it. Moving on, our second dilemma today, Royals, goes as follows. My boyfriend is ready for children and I am hesitant for a number of reasons, but mainly because he's a narcissist and I feel stuck in the relationship. I'm not sure that bringing children into this is the right call. Please talk some sense into me. Uh, girl, yeah. I do hope I'll be able to talk some sense into you, honestly. Um, my immediate response is absolutely not. The, 
no children at this stage and perhaps never with this person if everything you're saying about them is accurate. Um, You have to remember that you get to choose your partner. You're an adult and you know who you're dating. And as of right now, you know that you're dating a narcissist, right? And you are aware that you're stuck. You're making all of this abundantly clear that you are very aware of your current situation. And I fully understand. I know that the road to leaving is so hard and maybe you aren't ready for that and that's fine. I empathize and I understand, trust me. You will leave when you're ready and not a second before and not a second after. I know that. But the main point here is that you get to pick your partner, right? Your kids, they don't have that luxury. They don't get to pick their dad. That's your job. As a matter of fact, that is your first point of call as a mother, is to pick the dad. And yes, uh, I know there's exceptions and sometimes people change or accidents happen and sometimes people don't seem a certain way and then end up a certain way and you're stuck. That's fine. But you have the information up front. You already know what you're getting yourself into. So I wouldn't recommend that you bring children into an already rocky and unhealthy relationship. Narcissists in particular, they love to have control over you. That's the whole shtick, right? It's they want full control over you and they weave themselves into every aspect of your life so it seems almost impossible to leave. And it gets harder and harder by the minute to actually leave. They isolate you and they control every aspect of your life and that's how they maintain that hold over you. And fortunately to me, It seems like this is just one more tactic to keep you stuck. Baby trap you and make it near impossible for you to leave afterwards. He will undoubtedly make you feel like you couldn't do it alone. He will most certainly use them against you, use the child against you. Um, And you're not going to be, you're not, it's going to make it so hard to make the decision afterwards to be able to leave. And you hear so many of these stories, right? Like they're all over the internet. They're, Amongst our friends, there's anecdotal stories from the beginning of time of women talking about how having ch- having a child with the wrong person or a narcissist, etc., and having the child being used against them, being threatened of never seeing their kids again or uh, making the fight for custody hell or any other way they can use them. And so, I w- yeah, I really would like you to consider all of this before you make that decision. And remember that even if you leave by some miracle afterwards, this is still someone you're going to have to deal with for 18 years. Do you really want that for yourself? Especially if you already feel trapped today? I would advise that your focus today should be on finding strength, finding healing, finding power and channeling all of that into an exit plan because I know you deserve better and I know that you know that deep down. I know that you know that you deserve better and I suggest therapy because it's hard doing this work alone and it's hard finding the strength alone and yeah you might have people around you but at the end of the day I think I think you do need a third party removed or someone to help you navigate and understand the situation that you're in and you seem very self-aware because you've described it in such a like a neutral almost like bird's eye view um, but a, a therapist could help you work through a safe strategy to leave but no matter what you do do not bring children, do not bring a baby into this dynamic. 
And I feel so defeated answering this because I know that the nature of these relationships are so bloody hard. They're so hard to leave. But here's, here's something else to think about. It's arguably harder to stay. And all of us will just have to pick our hearts. Most of the time it comes down to that. Leaving in hard and staying in hard and you have to pick your heart. Good luck to you. Um, if you want to talk about it any further, slide back into the DMs. I'll gladly have a bit more chat, but I'll be thinking of you and sending you a lot of love and healing. All right, royals, get ready for our last dilemma. And it's a interesting one. It's a juicy one. And you had a bit of a role to play in answering this one whether you knew it or you didn't know it so make sure that you stick around to see what role you played but I'll read the dilemma first and then we'll dive into it I am 19 and I am dating a 38 year old man we met on a night out and we hit it off he keeps telling me that I am mature for my age and perfect for him and that if I were to stay with him he could finance my whole life he's encouraging me to drop out of uni can relationships with age gap work? Will I make a mistake for making myself dependent on him? <laughs> There's this immediate flinch when I read this question for the first time because there is a familiarity to this story. It's same story, different characters. Often the same disastrous outcome, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will not tell you what to do or not to do. I believe everyone should have agency over themselves and agency to date whoever they want so long as all participants in the relationships are happy, adults and consenting, right? So let's just get that out of the way. Um, but what I will give you through answering this question is I'll give you things to think about. I will give you some questions to ponder on in your own time and I'll allow you to draw your own conclusions. And I will give you some insights from the royals themselves. Yes, you heard me. That's right. We made this a family affair and everyone has chimed in. So stick around, find out how. How does that sound? All right, let's go. So uh, let's recap. You're dating someone who is 38, you're 19. So off the bat, you're quite literally dating someone who is double your age. That means that on the day you were born, he was your age today. I, I feel like we just need to take stock of that <laughs> with no judgment, just, just the facts. Um, it's, a, it's not a dynamic that you see play out successfully very often. And there's good reasons for that. For one, consent can be tricky, um, when, especially when power dynamics are skewed to this level. And power comes across in different ways, right? Like it's not always um, when it's someone of authority over you. It's, it's the difference in experience, in age, in maturity, in wisdom, in life lived experience, in money. All of these things he has the upper hand on. And not to say that you're powerless, like obviously you have your own power, your youth, probably beauty. Um, there's a lot that you have power over, but it's just the majority of things he has the upper hand on. And so how does your power really measure against his? Because what we should all aim for is to be in equal partnerships. It's to be in equal relationships that have an equal amount of give and take. 
right? It's the ability to make decisions together, to voice concerns together. And so that becomes a little bit hard when the power dynamic is this different between you and whoever you're dating. And I get that you mentioned that he thinks you're mature, but are you? You're a teenager. There's no two ways about it. And I'm not saying this to make you feel small, but 19, it's in the name. You're in the last year of your teenage years. And I know at 19, it feels like we're dipping our toes into adulthood and becoming a, a full developed adult, but you're so far away from it. Because think about it. Your brain hasn't finished developing. Your frontal lobe, it's going to take another six years. It finished developing at 25. So I don't know how mature a 19-year-old could possibly be with that limited life experience. And the reality is that you and your partner are going to have a little to no common ground at the end of the day, at least on the majority of things. Because what does a 30-year-old have in common with a 19-year-old? I'm way younger than him and I still can't think about what I would have in common with a 19 year old and I have some of some of my friends are relatively younger than me by maybe like five years and sometimes I even find it hard to relate to them because we just have we're at different stages of life and we just have different perspective on things because there's things that no one can teach you other than time um, and you and him are going to have limited shared experiences. The most f straightforward one, not that it matters that much, but it will be like an easier example to give, is childhoods. Reminiscing on both your childhoods are two different eras. You grew up in a world that... Uh, you don't know a world without internet, for example. His childhood had no internet. Like, just think about that. Um, there is different priorities in life as well every time you go through a stage of life your priorities shift significantly and he has had the opportunity to grow up he has had the opportunity to experience potentially maybe going to university traveling working his first job his second job making friends maybe moving falling in and out of love there's a lot of things that he has already done that you haven't gotten to done to do, sorry, and you will never get to experience them with him for the first time. There's places that he's already seen and things he's already done that yeah, maybe you could do them again, but you 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 get robbed of the opportunity of doing it with your partner for the first time, which is what usually tends to happen when you date someone who's closer in age. So that's maybe something else to think about. Um there is a reason that um, age gap relationships tend to be taboo when someone is in their 20s and someone in, is in their 40s. And they're less taboo when it's like a 30-year-old dating a 40-something-year-old because it's more socially acceptable because everyone understands that once you get to a certain age, life evens out. There's, you know, a 30-year-old and 40-year-old probably have similar priorities in life. It's They're probably both working. They're probably both working towards creating a home. So it's similar despite, despite the, the difference in age. But your 20s are formative years. They are the struggle years that will make you who you are. They have the ups and downs of getting to know yourself, of getting to understand what your dreams, your wants, your life aspirations are. And 
they come with this fake confidence and I know it's because I've lived that right where you think you know what you want and that want will change as you go through life you as you experience more of life you're you, you change your mind a lot in your 20s and I'm just weary about what it would do to you to spend them in a relationship with someone so much older than you because you're going to have to step into his world it's very unlikely he's going to step into yours he's already asking you to drop out of uni so it doesn't look like he's ready to step into your your world so you'll be stepping into his and what are you going to are you going to be able to go clubbing with your friends are you going to be able to take a solo trip around Europe? Are you going to go on an exchange semester? Are you going to move in with your girlfriends? Are you going to go to a rave, to festivals? Are you going to go, I don't know, like all the things that are acceptable and encourage this early in life because they allow you to experience life fully and form friendships and get to know yourself and start figuring out who you are and what you want. I think that it would be, I need to be careful how I, I phrase this, but I think it would be irresponsible to not mention grooming as well. And I'm not saying this is what's happening. I don't want you to get defensive. I'm not saying that I know that it's definitely what's going on. I'm just saying it's a risk that everyone should consider in situations like this. Because why do older men date younger women? Well, the most straightforward answer is because they can. That, like that's the reality of it. In many cases, um, it begs the question, why not someone their age, right? And there is this argument or this theory that they don't date women their age because they can't, because maybe there is something wrong with them. Maybe it's a maturity issue. Maybe it's a, a lack of career or emotional stability or emotional intelligence that makes them unattractive to women their age that have enough life experience to be able to spot that, that might be undetected or otherwise ignored by someone who is younger who is not really like looking at the right things doesn't have the same priorities as an older woman and so uh, there is an an argument that maybe they date younger women because they're easier to groom they're easier to manipulate to shape according to whatever they want them to be they don't have enough experience to know any better you you don't i I don't think you have enough relationship experience to know what's right and what's wrong, what's normal, what's not normal. And so are you mature for your age or is he a predator? Um, the other thing, I think this is where I'll be more definitive with my feelings about this and it's, it's the whole dropping out out of uni. Because while... Age gap relationships can be problematic, could potentially succeed and be the best thing you've ever done. I don't know that. I can't see into the future. But I want to have most issue with is his desire for you to essentially hand over your freedom and your power. You can't live on plan A only. You need a plan B all the way to Z. Dropping out of uni when it's something that you evidently want to do will rob you of the, ex the experience. It will rob you of the opportunity to experience uni life. It will rob you of the experience to make friendships with people that are your age. It will rob you of the opportunity to build a career and your own independence. Because what is he offering? Like, he wants to finance your life. Why wouldn't he just 
pay for your degree then? Like, why do you need to drop out? And if you drop out, what's the plan? Just to rely on him fully? Is he, is he asking you to start a business? To learn a trade? Uh, are you getting married? And getting a prenup? Like, how, what is your safety net here? Right? If he breaks up with you, and you've been dependent on this man for whatever time you were, how, how do you bounce back? What are you doing next? Right? Um, every year that you're not in the job market is years where you're not accumulating experience and are years that make you less employable. That's the truth about the job market. So again, what happens if you break up? How are you, how are you planning on supporting yourself? Have you thought about, I know you thought about happy path, but what happens if not so happy outcome happens? And I, I don't condone handing over your freedom or power ever, no matter what, no matter who it is, no matter how much you trust them. You always need to be able to stand on your own two feet. Even if you allow a man to come in and support you, that's fine, but you still need to have a plan B. It also seems weird to me that he's putting it forward this way, almost like banking on his ability to pay to have you stay as opposed to creating a healthy, loving relationship where your reason for staying is not just because he's financing your whole life. So it seems a bit shallow in that way. Um, I know I said I won't tell you what to do and I stand by that. But if you were my little sister, my advice, my personal feelings from for this would be to run and run fast and as far from this as you can. But you're not my sister and theoretically no one can stop you from doing whatever you want because you are over the age of 18 and um, you get to do whatever you want. In saying that, I did get help. I enlisted help from the kingdom, okay? Dating an older woman in your late teens or early 20s almost feels like an unfortunate rite of passage sometimes. So I asked the royals to help. Okay, when I received this question, I asked the royal court if they have ever dated a man who is significantly older than them before the age of 25. And we've received a little over 70 votes and 75% of them said yes. Between my own experience, anecdotal stories from my friends and my entourage and the royal input, it seems to me that I'm correct. It does seem like this is an experience that a lot of us go through. And so then I ask them the following. I ask them how they feel about it today. And 20% of voters say that they regretted it flat out. They hope it never happened. 50% of them said that they don't regret it but they do think it was wrong in retrospect. And 23% of them say that they don't regret it at all. So the consensus here is that with age and wisdom, looking back, the majority of us think that it was somewhat wrong. Do with this information what you will, because many women have walked this path before, even in pop culture. It's discussed in um, Demi Lovato's song 29, where she reminisced on her relationship with a 29-year-old when she was 17. Taylor Swift famously in her songs, Dear John, Could've, Would've, Should've, where she speaks about the aftermath of dating a 33-year-old when she was 19 and the damage it did to her. Uh, recently in the song Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo, there is a benefit in learning from people who walked this path before. 
women have been speaking up and they've been warning other women about the risk, the damage and the potential trauma that these experiences can bring. And so no matter where you go from here, I hope that you, one, take into consideration the majority of the outcome of such relationships, but also just listen to your gut. I feel like deep down, even in the way you say, am I going to be wrong handing over, like being dependent on a man? I think deep down you sort of have a gut feeling about this. And I hope you make the right call for yourself um, and it turns out to be the right call for you. I have my own age gap dating story. And it's a story where I often think about if this was fiction and not real life, it would make such a good little romance book. And if you want to hear it, Royals, I will be sharing it next episode so you'll have to come back next week because this is our time together today thank you so much for listening for engaging participating in the podcast thank you for all the listeners who sent through their dilemmas and for the royals who are sharing their many stories with me and who participated in the vote i've put earlier this this week i read all of them i see all your messages all your comments everything and i love all of it so thank you so much tune in next week to hear about my meet cute enemies to lover age gap story but until next time i will see you next time this is king happy signing off peace this has been your royal reminder that your crown might tilt but i will never ever let it fall you've been listening to fix your crown with me king happy until next time long live the king